Kia ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm William Chen. And I'm Sarah Watt. And each month at Cinema in Context, we discuss two films, one current and one retrospective, with some connection. It could be the same director, the same actor, or a similar theme. This month, we are discussing Fast and Furious 9. Was it The Fast and the Furious 9? Oh, we'll talk about the title soon enough. (laughs) Fast 9. F9. F9 colon, The The Fast Fast Saga. (laughs) Anyways, the ninth in the Fast and the Furious series, and The Fast and the Furious, which came out in 2001, 20 years ago, in fact. Amazing. The connection being, they are part of the same franchise, I believe 10 films in the series, even though this is the ninth film of this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 10 films. Uh, and and two assorted short films and a universal theme park ride. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Probably computer games and backpacks and lunchboxes. And a retirement fund, I think, for, uh, for Vin Diesel. Well, a, a plastic surgery fund at yeah. least. Right, well let's hear about these films. William, do you want to jump in and give us a bit of a summary of the original The Fast and the Furious? Alright, Jeremy. So, the year was 2001. June, a couple of months before some big things were about to happen in the world, Mm. street racing was all the rage, and Rob Cohen, director of The Fast and The Furious, had read an article called Racer X about the illegal underground street racing scene of Los Angeles. Fast forward to The Fast and The Furious, where... And we're going to call them by their actor names, because who remembers their real names anyway in the movies? So, Paul Walker is an undercover cop trying to get in with Vin Diesel's gang of street racing family members as they go about stealing some, uh, I mean, tech. Let's just say tech. (laughs) (laughs) By tech, I mean, of course, DVD CRT combos. That would get you so much money. Um, as three million dollars is the, is the oh my yeah. gosh the stakes are high people the stakes, stakes are, are high. incredibly high that's how we start a franchise yeah as Paul Walker falls in love with Vin Diesel's sister and must decide between his loyalties between the FBI and this crime family they have to stave off rival gangs street races and finally the most heinous crime of all brotherly betrayal excellent well, let's jump forward 20 years mm. to F9, Sarah. It's 2021. Technically, probably 2020 when the film was intended to come out, but let's say it's 2021. In this ninth lap of the franchise, Vin Diesel and Michelle Rodriguez are living in rural peace, raising Dom's toddler son from the previous episode, when they suddenly receive a distress call from Mr. Nobody, the most irrelevant Kurt, <laughs> Kurt Douglas, is that? No, Kurt, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, oh my character God. I've ever Kurt seen. Douglas played Mr. Nobody. <laughs> guys, guys, guys. CGI. Before you can say 10-second car, Dom has reassembled his band of criminal outsiders and they're driving madly through Central American jungles, across rope bridges, landmines and cliffs, and surviving without a scratch or sullied white t-shirt. Impenetrable technical jargon then directs their mission to Georgia, Edinburgh and other exotic climbs. And throughout this cross-globe caper, everyone maintains a straight face as they engage in brutal fights. The women, who are admirably fully clothed, now it's 2021, more than hold their own, and a variety of vehicles are driven far too quickly. 
The acquisition of an industrial strength magnet wreaks havoc and motorway chase scenes induce gasps of disbelief. Wow, thank you, Sarah. That was wonderful. I I, I think it's worth saying that I went into Fast and Furious 9. William and I went and saw it this week together at the movies, and I have never seen a Fast and the Furious film before. (laughs) There's a lot of F sounds in there, isn't there? Um, I had the choice to jump in with the first The Fast and the Furious before, but I was really looking forward to going into this ninth film with no context beyond what I might have picked up from the zeitgeist. Uh, And so that was my introduction, and I watched The Fast and the Furious this morning. Right. Yeah. So let's start with you then. So number nine, I won't say what were you expecting necessarily, but what was your impression? Like, did you understand any of it? Did you know the backstories? Could you follow anything? Could you pick any of the backstories up from what they showed in the movie? Great question. And I think it's worth saying that we will be talking spoilers with this whole series because there are some some goofy spoilers to be had. I some think, major goofy spoilers. <laughs> I think I, I knew that the film was... Uh, I knew that Michelle Rodriguez had died and come back to life. That was kind of a piece of information that had, that had thrown, been thrown around. I knew that one of the films ended with a chase sequence on a runway that defied any logic, logical, real-world runway, the length that, it, mm. that it kind of went on this runway. And so that's the only thing yeah. that makes this franchise <laughs> unbelievable. I guess I, in watching the original film today, it, it met the expectations that I had of what that original film was. And then based on what the two of you have probably told me, I had a sense that the, the, the series had been reinvigorated in much the same way the Mission Impossible series yes. has been reinvigorated. And, and, and the watching... Bonds, actually, like the Bond films. In it. Well, I mean, have got more flashy, more high-tech, more everything. I suppose so, but at least the Bond movies, there's a sense of what James Bond is <clears throat> in the first Doctor No film. I see. That is still aligned very nicely with the, the most recent ones. Sure. Maybe Skyfall's a bit different, but on a whole, like there's a certain oh, okay. pieces that, that are there. Whereas the Fast and the Furious one mm. is very much a buddy flick. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it's it's a it's of its time. Like it's, it's a hangout movie. It's it's a it's very much uh, yeah about the family that they create together. It's almost party of five and there's no mm. adults around the place. Mm. <laughs> and it's petty crimes. It's just petty yes. criminals Driving cars. Against DVD CRT combos. I mean, the stakes are so low. <laughs> really? Yeah. really, you know, jokingly said they were high earlier. That really stuck out to me today. Yeah, I thought, yeah. wow, this is about this is about something very low. Whereas you get to Fast and the Furious 9, and it is... I actually had quite a great time. But I said to William at the end of it, this felt like a Indiana Jones movie, a Pirates of the Caribbean film, Mission Impossible. It, it really is having a blast. To me, it's also <laughs> Tenet and Inception. And the inception maybe for the impenetrability of all the layers of plot. But Tenet, every time they're driving anywhere and doing backwards racing down the motorway in that, or in between tanks or mm. whatever it might be, I'm reminded of Tenet. I have yeah. to say, one of the things that really stuck out to me, and I, I felt this watching the movie, not having read anything, and I've since read articles about it, but the, uh, the multicultural cast, mm. the representation in the cast, uh, was very impressive and particularly the girls as well. They, they weren't just um, set dressing. I mean, Miss Sandy from Game of Thrones, <laughs> she was the Hermione of the show. Like she, She's the, the she? hacker she's that just explains oh, everything. And, and just impenetrable tech speak. Yeah. That's jargon, jargon, jargon. Impenetrable tech jargon. She's just there to Who tell you cares? what's going on. Right. Uh, I did love her sequence with her driving the car. That was yeah. just a lot of fun. Uh, but I was very impressed. And I was reading an article um, about how 
these films really, you know, money speaks and Hollywood listened because they, they reckon that these films have had a more positive impact on representation of people of colour yeah. in cinema in Hollywood mm. than any Twitter warrior, you know, keyboard warriors sure, would ever yeah. have because these movies make money um, and there's a lot of there's a lot of non-white actors that are it's incredible in part nine how their entire team is made up of non-white characters Mm. every single person on the team and the the two baddies are the white people Charlize Theron Theron and um, John Cena oh I didn't mean him but okay him but no the the The, the German guy the the Otto Icelandic I am Otto yeah 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 can we just talk about John Cena I'm not a big fan, but I suddenly feel kind of mean because I, I, I mean, I don't. He's such a really, lovable lug. Well, I mean, lug. I mean, look. Okay, so look, I'm not the most judgmental person, but I do think he's a little bit absurd. Um, you don't think Vin Diesel's absurd? Well, there's something bulky. There's something bulky. That scene where he turns into King Kong and smashes fifty dudes off a ramp. What about they just throwing each other through walls? Yeah. John Cena and Vin Diesel. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> All right. So I'm not saying it's realistic. But anyway. And they get up and there's like the tiniest rivet of blood going down one's forehead. Well, okay. So you're quite right. Because I was about to say, John Cena, I, 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 I find him charmless, but then so is Vin Diesel. But I was going to say, oh, yeah, but you know, John Cena, I, I don't really think that he acts with his face, but then there's Vin <laughs> Diesel. So um, maybe I'm running out of arguments here for why he's just not my favorite person. However... I felt really guilty because I was sort of a bit like, meh, don't really rate him as anybody uh, particularly, but apparently he's really lovely and very apolitical and very sort of charitable and gracious. Yeah, yeah, so now I feel, (laughs) now I'm the jerk. He's kind of like the new rock, isn't he? He's got that same sort of charisma. But I I hear you, I hear what you're saying, Sarah. Can I ask a question plot-wise? Who's... Who is the mother of Vin Diesel's son, if it's not Michelle Rodriguez? So, it's Chris Hemsworth's wife in real life, and her name is Elsa Pataya? Pataki. Pataki. And um, she's in... A previous episode. I love you call it an episode because it feels <laughs> yes. like a. It feels like it's a. TV she's in thing. a previous episode and she has a relationship. Yes. No, she's an FBI agent or something. Uh, no, she, okay, so, so I'll take okay, over. Okay, okay, okay. So she was a Brazilian cop in Fast Five that yes. teams up with the Rock. Now she was one of the only non-cricket cops in Rio, so she kind of got taken under the Rock's wing. And when the Rock's team was killed, she became kind of like the in-between police person guy, uh, lady. And uh, but. Meanwhile, she and Vin Diesel realized that they had a connection because she lost her husband. He thought he lost his wife, uh, which was Michelle Rodriguez. So they got together. But when Michelle Rodriguez had been revealed to come back, except with amnesia, so she's working for the bad guys. Yeah, did you know that? Yeah, no, so Michelle is... Rodriguez is brought back, but she doesn't remember anything. But he does. And so they're all like falling in love. And for her, it's like super awkward because for Vin <laughs> Diesel, it's like, but. We know, I know all these things and we've done all this stuff and she's like this is creepy which it is <laughs> anyway and so Elena realizes that oh his, his wife's back or his girlfriend she don't know they were married at the time uh, is back I would do the same if my husband came back to me and, and so just ceremoniously backs off but she did not realize at the beginning of Fast 6 that she was already pregnant with Dom's child she has Dom's child between Fast 6 and 7, but, but we doesn't don't tell know anyone. This. And she doesn't tell the audience. And so in Fast <laughs> 7, she's acting really weird, and the audience is like, wait, 
what's up, girl? Um, and it turns out that she had been harboring the Steve Dark Secret this whole time. Charlize Theron finds about this. Wait, this is in eight. This is now going from seven to eight. Yes, <laughs> because in eight, Charlize Theron turns up and she's a baddie and she has kidnapped Elsa Pataki mm -hmm. and she has a baby in a stroller. And suddenly she's saying to Vin Diesel, this is your child. And then Charlize Theron <laughs> kills her. In front of Vin. <gasps> and then Vin has to like do this amazing fight scene. Was it on an airplane or yeah, something? It, it it's is. in a small space with the child. But the child has headphones oh, on no, its no, ears. That's not Vin, that's Jason Statham. He's oh, a baddie, yes! baddie from Seven. But he, Vin gets him back to save his kid while he takes on... um. Uh, what's his name? Tormund Giants fan from Game of Thrones. <laughs> and so, Are you following so far? Because we're going to do a test on this. Charlize is using his baby as leverage to force him to commit heinous crimes. And when his team confronts him, Vin with his gravelly voice and his face goes, I have no choice. <laughs> was that your Jason Statham voice? No, that was my Vin, Vin Diesel, Diesel voice. <laughs> She's getting a little bit Jason I love that Vin Statham. Diesel goes from like, he's either one or ten. There's no right. in between. What I will say is that this film, it's pulpy, and the, the connection with Indiana Jones is more than just the driving through the jungle with chipmunks and... Oh, no, that's... that's it's not much more, but... Yeah, yeah but it's, it's that kind of... That serialized nature of it, that soap opera nature of it, that I really... I actually just enjoyed them leaning into it. Yes. It was a lot more fun than the Kong vs. Godzilla film that we saw, we yes. talked about recently. Um, it, it felt really fun and I like that they made that shift and I love the joy with which the two of you are, are recounting this um, it is again very different to the first movie which the first movie it was like with the we were talking last month about the title sequences mm. and how the Fast 9 3D text was very Charlie's mm. Angels in fact this whole thing I, I couldn't help but keep thinking of Charlie's Angels which <laughs> came out the year before I think um, it it. I kind of really enjoyed the old one for different reasons. Fast yeah. One was a surprisingly good film. And I think part of what I really like about it, and this is like so stupidly me, I'm really charmed by the fact that when they made it, they couldn't possibly have known that it was going to go on to become the first of this <laughs> behemoth. And, and they, they would be made... play, playing the same characters 20 years later. And if they did know that, they probably wouldn't have called him Brian. <laughs> <laughs> but in any event... But in any event, they made a film, and they made it, obviously, with heart, and it was actually really good. As far as just an action movie with two dudes and a whole lot of cars and a plot that actually works because you've got the intrigue of you're betraying me and you're actually a cop, etc., and where do my loyalties lie... It's actually a really good film. Mm. And I find, I mean, everyone talks about you know the family stuff and the later Fast and Furious films, but it's totally there in the first one. Yes. His, his little makeshift family or Dom's makeshift family is so odd. Like, they have movie nights where they watch, I guess, Bruce Lee documentaries. And my favorite line in the whole movie is when Vince, who's pissed that Brian is, uh, is getting with Mia, who he has a crush on, is all like, you can make your own damn popcorn and storms out of the room. And it's really like, <laughs> when I say basic, not basic in the, the modern pejorative sense, it's just simple, isn't mm. it? It's just simple yeah. stuff. It's a bunch of young people like hanging out. Yeah, it's a bit like party of five, yeah. right? Where's the parents? So let me just ask you, uh, so I don't know if you picked up in Fast 9, but uh, Dom's child... Uh, who he's raising now with his lovely wife, Mich Michelle Rodriguez. Do you know what the kid's called? Uh, I can't remember. Would you like to hazard a guess? Is it Brian? Yes! <laughs> oh, right. Or little Brian. Yeah, right. <laughs> little B. Well, also, I didn't understand. When the, when the car at the end comes up to the table, I was thinking, oh, that's John Cena. And William's like, no, no, no. 
That's Brian. He's been off screen. Oh, Brian. I said it like a um, family guy. Um, <laughs> he's been babysitting. Yeah. 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 I was like, because I said, who's been looking after the kid? And he's like, oh, Brian. I was like, what? I know. Yeah. Which but I, I do appreciate that they're trying to keep. It's Paul nice. I, especially. It's, it's poignant. At the end of Seven, which made grown men cry. Yes. Um, kind of giving Brian and Mia the send off. Like they get to retire from the life of action. And even though, you know, Paul Walker didn't get to live to see this, the character is kept alive and, and well and is still part of their family. And they the do a little world. CGI thing at the end of number seven. And that by this stage of the, the sort of the, the epilogue, I guess, um, they're, they're already... The fourth wall has been broken and they're acknowledging they're doing like little flashbacks of to the all of movies. the movies, which of course is so... Um, fourth wall breaking mm -hmm. but we're all loving it because we've all known that he died before we're seeing this film and then there's the two cars going along the motorway uh, and, and, and Dom is in one of them and Brian CGI'd a little is in the other and then um, then we have an overhead shot and he takes the, 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 the left fork oh, in the lovely. road and goes off into retirement with Jordana Brewster and yeah, grown men cry. Yeah. And it says, for Paul. At the very end, the, the final house for Paul. It's, there's an interesting thing. I mean, there's another piece of this. One of the things that struck me about the first one is just, and also the new one, but, but a little bit, not as much, is the exploration of masculinity. Like it's mm. really, like the, a version of masculinity that, I guess, defined that time. Yeah. That's probably why I haven't watched it, because I just wouldn't have connected with that mm. as a... 14 year old when it came out it was just mm. not my bag at all cars are not something I'm interested mm. in I love a good car chase mm. but um, well none of us is a, is a petrol no. head really and, and the first movie no. is obsessed with cars like yeah. the minutiae of the cars but it's also like even the ninth movie with this yeah. sort of fatherly son connection through cars that yes. I guess if you, that's your bag you're going to connect with it but it's really interesting the, the depiction of what it means to be a man in that world and the the, the kind of bravado of Vin Diesel's character in those racing mm. scenarios and Paul Walker coming in and it is that buddy flick which mm. is the same the buddy flick is the same as the romantic comedy you mm. know and I just found it really interesting and the, the depiction of the woman is very much of its time at that time but <laughs> But quite, like you said, Sarah, quite impressive in the new movies. It goes in a funny place, and I hope now, Jeremy, that you're inspired to watch 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, yeah, and no. 8. And you could probably skip 2, which is yeah. as dumb as a bag two of hammers. 2 is really bad. Um, and I've heard some people say they love 2. Mm. 2 is just really different. So stupid. It feels like a, a drug undercover cop movie from the 70s in places. Right, because Vin Diesel's not in that one, is yeah. it? It's Paul Walker's. And then the third one's a different cast that you said is woven. That's all Tokyo Drift. But of course, some people love that one. But you yeah. need number three to know that Han dies <laughs> so that they can bring him back in nine, miraculously, and accuse Jason Statham, who we only met in six. <laughs> Of killing him. So I love, actually, how much they are mucking about. With the timeline. Right, and getting away with it. I actually am I'm, I'm in admiration of, of so how convincing it is. Just about how Tokyo Drift is brought into part nine. In Tokyo Drift, it focuses on, um, on these high school kids. This American exchange student is in Tokyo, and he's learning how to drift, being mentored by the Han character. Han gets killed, he gets upset, they drift down a mountain. And they're high school well. children. Can yes. I just ask as well, three, like in the chronology, actually, when, when does three happen in three the Three takes place after six and before seven. Right, did you know yeah. that? Oh, no. Yeah. Because they love the, or oh, Justin Lin, who created the character Han in his previous movie, uh, Better Luck Tomorrow, 
they, they, the the crew loved wait, Han wait, so wait, much. Wait, wait, yeah, I know. Yes. <laughs> so, so Han is from a pr- another series, another se- or another movie, an indie movie he made. Wow. So he has the same name, uh, and he's also played by Song Kang. Because because William was fizzing in the theater, I had no idea. Yeah, and I yeah. said to William at the start, I said, "Don't tell me anything. Like I don't want you to try and explain anything to mm. me in the movie because." I just kind of that's part of the fun of it. But yes. you were like, oh, yeah. oh my gosh. But you knew Han was coming back <laughs> yeah, because he's the in the posters. Yeah. Right. right. So, um, so, okay, right. Did Justin then make three? Did he make he did. Tokyo he, Drift? He, he made right. three, four, five, six, six, and nine. That's right. Yeah. So, right. So, as you're saying, Tokyo Drift so, happens between six and seven. Yes. And in Tokyo Drift, our main characters are all the high school children. And nine chronologically happens about five years after Tokyo Drift, and now suddenly they're all like aeronautics engineers in Germany. It's like, how do we get to this? Well, so here's the other thing I wanted to say in terms of a trajectory of maturity, uh, if it can be called that. So in the very beginning, you've got Tyrese and Ludacris, and and twenty years on, you've got Tyrese and Ludacris. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but they suddenly seem to have skills and expertise (laughs) and they drive better than they did before. Maybe Tyrese always drove, to be fair. But Ludacris seems suddenly to be a real person who understands the world and science and stuff, notwithstanding flying through space. Which one's Ludacris? Um, Um, Well, so Ludacris is a real person. He's a rapper. Chris Ludacris Bridges. And he's from the film Crash from... from, um, Paul Haggis' 2004 movie. But anyway, Ludacris is... so he plays Tej, the hacker, um, and the two of them go up to space. Okay. Is yes. he the... So he's always with uh, Nelly Amanio. Right, so he's yeah. the one that, that says you're, you're dumbass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And right. he's the one with the wicked afro yeah, in, in part Fast two. And he has a huge afro. Oh, he's not in one, he's introduced in two. I was going to say, oh, I don't, I don't recognize him in yeah. one. Oh, but Tyrese is in one. Oh, uh, no, he's oh, also introduced oh, in two. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. I quite liked it. I like that there's these different ways. Like it's almost like the first three movies all kind of did something different. Yeah. And then they've woven it all together with these later films. Well, here's what... I didn't realise that Tokyo Drift was between six and seven because Jason Statham comes into six, right? And he comes in. This will surprise you, Jeremy. He's a right Londoner. And he talks <laughs> like this the whole time and he bashes people up. Yeah? Just to do something different. That's right. So it's really quite a stretch for Mr. Statham. And, and he's a baddie in that. And his mum is Helen Mirren. And this will surprise you too, she's a right Londoner. <laughs> but the thing that bums me out about Helen Mirren, yeah, in number nine, I mean, thank goodness she had such a small scene, in my opinion, because she is an accomplished actress who's done all types of English act, uh, accent, and she can be as cockney as they come. I thought she was rubbish in number nine. <laughs> and I actually she's thought cockney. she was a bit rubbish in six. Well, she was cockney in the... Uh, cockney as heck in uh, Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah. Like... Hello, you asked me some. Yeah, but she sounds a little bit like Dick Van Dyke. I mean, it's like, you don't need to be like, what, what's going on with you, lady? You know how to do this. I thought that was rubbish. Anyway, six. Mm, six is very London. We were about yes. to talk about the way the women are dressed over the, the 20 years. Mm. And I remember that in six, these women in London, and I'm doing the inverted commas, air commas, these London women who are blatantly not anyone you've ever seen in London and are dressed like in a white. tiny bit of sequin. Is it the white with the white sequin? Oh, no. They're all in white clothes? No, I'm talking about episode six. Oh, right. Yeah. Sorry. When, when they're, they're in London there and there are actual street races happening. This just looks like they've imported a bunch of like people from somewhere else because well, none of those people look like they're English. But that's, that's the joke in nine, right? Because all the girls were imported from somewhere else and, and it can, was artificial. You can... 
what, in yeah. the, what, and what, it was artificial in the making of it or in the actual no, narrative? No, in the actual narrative. Yeah, like, because you can tell. Yeah. I love, okay, so th- this is interesting. So there's a self-awareness and just the, there's just, it's like they're using all the colors in the, in the crayon box, you yes, know? Yes, yes. It's, there's something quite fun about that. And we don't see very m- many movies these days that don't, that they're just they're not taking themselves too seriously, but seriously enough to still do their fans there a, a good service. There are a couple of other bits of self-awareness, I feel like, in Nine, aren't there? There are a couple of nods to things. If this was a movie... <laughs> oh, oh that's right! If, Why are if, we... If this that, was a movie, course. and I love that little... You're Yoda. Yeah. You know, oh, you're a puppet. You're a puppet. That was a great and piece of dialogue. And Tyrese, because you know, I said in my in my intro, you know, yeah. that, that they, they survive without a scratch or a sullied white yeah. t-shirt. And then he spends several portions of the film doesn't he going wait a second yeah. guys are we invincible why, why are we okay and it's like, it's like a jewel, you, a jewel thank you for acknowledging from yeah, yeah, yes thank you for acknowledging this although they're, they're, they're mocking there was a trailer before the movie we saw something milkshake yes um, uh, oh gosh what was it called something milkshake yeah. but bombastic milkshake or something I can't remember and it's um, Karen Gillan and Karen Gillan. Lena Headey Lena Headey you've got um, Michelle Yao I think is Michelle Yao yeah. Uh, Angela Bassett yeah. and the Spy Kids mum, um, Kara uh, uh, Gugino. Yes. yes, these four action, like they've all got yeah. narratives that precede them. So it's like a Kill Bill style, very male gaze, I have to say. I went and mm-hmm, checked to mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was a male director, but still, like, you know, a quote unquote badass woman mm-hmm, film. Mm-hmm. Um, so four, four fighters. And, but it struck me, I was like, this casting is pulling from. The roles that you know they've played in the past. You've got mm. Cecil Lannister from oh, Game of Thrones, who's like the biggest villain of the piece, um, arguably. Uh, you've got you know Angela Bassett with her kind of connections. You've got uh, just Cara Gugino. What's her name? Gugino. Yeah, Gugino, Gugino. and um, the, the other one that I can't think um, of. Michelle, Michelle Yeoh. Yeoh. Yeah. Like these, it, it brings with it, and even Karen Gillan with her yeah. connections Marvel. to Marvel and, and Doctor mm. Who. I was like, wow, that's really interesting. And it feels like there's a bit of that in, the, a lot of that in the Fast and the Furious films with the Jason Statham's, with right. The Rock, yeah. with yeah. the John Cena's, with the Helen Mirren's and the Charlie Theron's and, the, you know, like, and yeah, the Cardi B's. Cardi B's. Oh, I thought that was the biggest waste of time cameo. <laughs> what the heck was that? I don't even know. <laughs> and I couldn't understand what she was I saying. I couldn't understand what she was saying. <laughs> no, no. And then that was over. I thought that was ridiculous. Oh, it was kind of fun, though, that, that, yeah. that there was a group of the women in that space that were actually <laughs> pretending to be cops. Can I, can I just say, um, the other week we went to the Hollywood Avondale to see a retrospective of uh, 2001's Training Day, the wonderful mm. Antoine Fuqua film, yeah, with Denzel Washington and Ethan Hawke, and it's so brilliant. And the beautiful thing that they did in that film, which I remembered they did a lot in the late 90s, early 2000s, is give cameos to... Um, music stars or rap stars. So you've got Snoop Dogg in a substantial cameo mm. role. And um, now suddenly I forget. Oh my gosh. Oh, you've got Dr. Dre in a sub- substantial supporting character role. But they're doing proper work. They're doing proper acting. And you're still getting that thrill of, oh, look, it's Dr. Dre or Snoop Dogg. Nowadays, it's like, oh, we'll get Cardi B in and we'll give her some lines that we can't understand. For like a split second, what's that for? It's like in, in I think part seven had Iggy Azalea as one of the race announcers. That's right. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> 
I I want to come back to the, the Charlie's Angels connection, and I because I just that's interesting. We watched last year and during lockdown, my flatmates and I watched the new Charlie's Angels movie. Mm. Oh right! It was a Friday night. We're like, let's watch. We, we managed to watch trashy movies every Friday night, which kind of was quite a wonderful thing in lockdown. Uh, but we watched this new Charlie's Angels movie, and it was really boring. Mm. Not a good film. Mm. Mm. Uh, not even bad. So bad it's good. It was just sort of very average. Yeah. Um, and I remember Elizabeth, uh, what's her name? Um, who's the director? Um, um, Banks. Yeah. Banks. Elizabeth yeah. Banks saying, oh, you know, if you don't like this movie, you're sexist. And I thought, oh, no, it's just a really bad movie. Yeah, that's a silly thing for her yeah. to say. Yeah, and I think because she was saying it's, it's, it's a film made by a woman. I appreciate that, but it wasn't a good film made no. by, by a woman. Mm. Um, so we watched it and we're like, oh, this was terrible. And my two flatmates and I, we said... Should we watch the original? You know, well, quote unquote original, the the re, the film, the Cameron Diaz, Cameron Drew Diaz, Barrymore Drew Barrymore one, and Lucy it Lewis. was so cool. Mm. We had such mm. a good time. Very similar style to Fast and the Furious. The title sequences, mm. the almost prodigy in Fast and the Furious, but there's prodigy, you know, the music and yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, nice and Charlie's Angels, yeah. and there's just some of the really cool effects. I really liked the blurring in Fast oh, and the Furious, the, the, the kind of hyper, hyperspace every time they turn on NOS, yeah, yeah. <gasps> And it's got a real um, buzz about it, a real yeah. rhythm that's in Charlie's Angels as well. And mm. there, there was a real style of that time. I'm trying yeah. to think of what other movies were coming out around the late two, late 90s, early 2000s that had that kind of campy quality. Maybe right? The Long Kiss Goodnight, which is another one of the ones that you like? Yeah, I guess that's sort of... Let's, a bit darker, in the 90s, and it feels right. more akin to the James Cameron right. Terminator 2 era. era. Um, what else was coming out at that time? Well, Speed Racer was much later, right? And yeah. that's taking that kind of ambiance and really running with it. But I think Matrix is a, probably a good connection yeah. to make, which is the Wachowskis, and that's got that similar... The digital effects and kind yep. of that, that kind of... Uh, oh, of course, and uh, Attack of the Clones, kind of the, the similar vibe. Yeah, Attack of the Clones, wow. Who would have thought that I would have wanted more prequels after the most recent Star Wars? <laughs> but it's just interesting. Of, of what Ocean's Eleven is another one that mm. stands out to me yes. with very highly stylized visuals. Um, and and my, my other experiences with these movies is when I used to work in the video store, these were the classic ones that people would kind of bolster their top 10. You know, you get 10 oh. DVDs out for the week. Mm. Um, they'd, oh, let's get out the Fast and the Furious oh, cool. 1 and 2 and 3 again. Just you know? to make up the 10. Yeah, something that's mm. easy to watch and, and movie, movie fans. And I say movie fans, meaning the ones that would come in and watch pretty much yeah. anything from the DVD store mm. would happily get out. Right. I think the evolution from one to nine, well, actually one to about probably five, because then, as you've said, William, five, six, seven, eight, nine, they get quite, they're, you know. Yeah, they become but, Mission Impossible. Movies. Right, exactly. <laughs> Whereas one was kind of one location, if I remember rightly, mm -hmm. and it's like one location, two cars, three guys, yeah, or whatever you want yeah. to say, uh, and an actual plot, a la Beverly Hills Cop, or something like that from the olden days. Or and point break or point it's break just, it's just point break. which is wonderful um and now of course um they're going all over the world and and i halfway through f9 i was like well, there haven't been that many car chases but there seems to have been a lot of technology and a lot of crazy stuff and a lot of we're going to go talk to these uh scientists about something that sarah doesn't understand uh and isn't that interested in etc cetera, etc cetera. And then we're in a bunker and then, you know, magnets and fighting and a lot of fighting. 
Yeah. And but then they actually did manage to come back and do more car chases as well. But I feel like it's definitely morphed into we need to give the audiences everything. Mm. And so we do need to acknowledge that, you know, everybody's watching Bourne films, so we need to go everywhere. And Bond films, which means we need technology and gadgets. And Jason Statham's other movies, which means we need to have, you Lots know, fight just, scenes yeah. ad nauseum. And so we're going to give them everything. I feel like Mission Impossible is a really the best comparison because if you look at the first Mission Impossible, yeah. it's it's a spy caper it's a spy caper it's great it is good what I will say is that the new ones capture the team ethic more and I think we said that when we talked about it Yeah. but it is quite a different movie can we talk about the magnets yeah Yeah. because they were so cool they were fun (laughs) I didn't care that it was selective magnets (laughs) sometimes they sometimes they attracted cars and sometimes they just attracted power lines and sometimes they attracted a specific car yeah yeah that was some Oh, poor Edinburgh streets. That's all I thought. But man, some of those those scenes were incredible. And I'll say this, uh, uh, this might be blasphemous, but I, as a big Fast and Furious fan, I would say I would happily watch any one of these movies, including the bad ones, namely 2 and 8, over most Marvel movies any day of the week. Um, Mainly because there's just, I feel there's so much more physical ingenuity with the Fast and Furious movies. Like... Almost everything you've seen, yeah, it's bolstered with digital effects, but the, the prime stunts, it's yes. almost always real. And you can see that. And, I mean, Justin Lin has gone on for great lengths about how they would spend literally months planning a four-second shot because it looked cool. Yeah. Uh, that scene where John Cena's car gets pulled through a building into a truck, it's like, this is physical, and how did they do this? That was one of the coolest yeah. parts of the movie. Mm. I will say that I've been talking about Marvel, and we've talked a lot about how the Marvel franchise and what that means for cinema at large. I just, I miss the days of those early 2000s, and maybe it's nostalgic because I was, you know, the perfect age for movies, 13, 14 years old. But I miss the yeah, Fast and the Furiouses and the Charlie's Angels and the Legally yeah. Blondes and the you know those they, they were just cool yeah. movies. They didn't have to be anything too intricate, but just really well told character stories. Yeah. We, we're not getting that. I, I mean, am I wrong? Are we getting that stuff? There's still, I mean, look, there are still plenty of very very clever indie flicks that have genuinely cool stories. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they necessarily. I mean, they're not going to have all the the technological. Uh, craziness going just on not, not the that CGI. mid-budget stuff that's right, right. The mid-budget action films and that's right. comedies and just things that are that are new and different we're getting a lot yeah. of I mean, I mean it's I don't want to parrot the same arguments that people have been having for years but it does feel like that like there's not much coming out that I that I am like oh that looks that looks like an interesting story that yeah. I'd like to discover mm. everything's like oh cool that's a, that's a sequel to that thing or that's yeah. a remake of that thing or that's yeah. a or this is a graphic novel that I love Something and they've I made am it familiar with. yeah that's yeah. right yeah. and there are there are but they're films like I saw a film called Lapsus recently which is as indie as it comes and it's as ludicrous as it comes but it's jolly clever and it's Does vaguely it scientific no ludicrous <laughs> isn't in it nobody's in it of okay. any note. And it's absolutely like, this is amazing because right. whose idea is this? You know, yeah, right. but nobody's going to see it. It's not going to make any money. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting with the Fast and Furious series because because this is, this is a series that has succeeded in the way Marvel has succeeded, right? Taken a bunch of disparate stories and characters and made them a genuinely unified whole in this joint expanded universe. And they almost kind of fell into it by accident. Because you, you see the first three movies and they, they are very, very different movies. Mm. And it just so happens that when Justin Lin and Chris Morgan, who came in for part three, um, when they got together with Vin Diesel, and it's like, maybe we can make this something more. 
And then for part five, that's when you have the big, the big heist where actually we can get everyone's favorite, I say that in air quotes, favorite characters from the previous movies. And let's just put everyone in one movie mm. and kind of bringing together plot threads that were never supposed to be together in the same, under the same umbrella. Mm. And you see everyone else fail miserably by constructing something from the ground up, the the dark universes of the world. Do you guys remember that? Oh, yeah. Like, the mummy was the doing The mummy, the, yeah. Oh. Like, they had all of the cast announced before they made the They movie. even yeah. had a photo of the cast. Um, and all of that stuff, all the, the YA fiction that gets past book one but doesn't go anywhere else. Yeah. And Fast and Furious is like, they just hit onto the mother load yeah. by accident. Yeah. I would say the YA fiction is a hangover from the Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. Right. Zone, yes, yes, whereas yes. I think... The monsters universe is the de- uh, universal universe <laughs> yeah. is definitely um, in response to Marvel. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned Vin Diesel partnering with Justin Lin and uh, Chris Morgan. Chris Morgan. Yeah. It made me think of his other series, the Pitch Black series, mm. and that's they're each quite different movies. So Pitch Black. Uh, is that Chronicles. Triple X? Is that where he's, or is that another one? No, that's one? another one. Because he was, I forgot, he was Triple X as yeah, well. He still True. is Triple X, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but no, but we don't see any, do we? Because he's busy. Oh, yeah. So Pitch Black, The Chronicles of Riddick, which oh, is yeah. very different to Pitch Black. Right. Yeah. And then Riddick, I think, is the third one, which yeah. is a more of a Pitch Black style film. Um, not always the greatest movies, but definitely watchable yeah. and, and similar, very different, that that potent, has potential to become something bigger but i wonder if vin diesel has a a bit of a obviously they, he works in the lanes that he's well he's worked with, works with what he's given yeah. yeah but that uh savvy with justin lynn and chris morgan was it yeah yeah I, i'd be interested to know how much vin diesel is a part of this part of this franchise mm. do you know and william will um will tell you better than i do you know all the stuff around hobbs and shore and the infighting <laughs> and all that because no. would you believe not everybody thinks that Dwayne the rock johnson is a good guy i mean i do i like him enormously but am i right in saying that he and vin diesel do not get along yeah. and hobbs and shore which you alluded to before as being in the 10th film although there'd be people who would argue that it isn't um had to happen Right, because yeah. Vin Diesel was like, I don't want this other megastar, uh, in and Jason Statham in my in my movie. So, Jeremy, when when you spoke about masculinity, this is exactly what I was thinking of, right? Because mm. I mean, Dwayne Johnson is a superstar, a megastar, and was brought on in Fast Five to kind of be this antagonist to their group. He's an FBI um, agent. Yeah, so he, he's like, he, I'm gonna hunt him down taking you down to Red Oak kind of thing. Um, and he, obviously, his star kept rising even if he was in these Fast and Furious movies. And the Fast and Furious movies just made him more famous. Uh, and I think Vin Diesel didn't like that because this is his franchise and mm. his baby. So they had a huge falling out while filming 8. Um, and you can see it in Fast 8. And I, I think why it's Fate of the Furious is such a bad movie is because they... Hobbs and... Uh, what's Vin Diesel called? Dom. Uh, Toretto, Dom. Toretto, I just yeah. know it was Vin Diesel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hobbs and Dom, they do not share a scene together. Mm. The oh, only... is, that, is that not the one where they're fighting each other in that, the glass that, office? Oh, uh, or is that in that's, seven? That is seven. That's seven. Right. Yes. Okay. And the fighting, you're like, they're not. They're not pulling punches here. This is two guys smashing each other around a glass right. office. Right. So you know, <laughs> like the two of them refuse to be on set together, and it just it's kind of. This Awkward. filmmaking family that suddenly had their two dads start, you know, uh, yeah, this big argument. And of course, 
Uh, Statham and The Rock went on to make Hobbs and Shaw, which is still part of the universe, and Chris Morgan wrote the movie. Um, but Vin Diesel, I think, really hates The Rock, and The Rock will apparently never be in a like mainline Fast and Furious movie again. Wow. No, I did not yeah. know that. So mm. there's, like, there's trouble in paradise. And <laughs> Vin Diesel is the godfather of Paul Walker's daughter, Meadow. Yeah. But that's not surprising because they're family in real life as well as off, uh, not in real life. And yeah. he, he named his own daughter Paula, right? Yes, or Pauline. Of, uh, Pauline. Pauline, yes. In honour of Paul. Wow. Then you've got little Brian <laughs> in the film. So yeah. this goes deeper than just a script <laughs> and some characters. Well, what's amazing about all the fight scenes is, especially when Statham and The Rock and Diesel were in the same movie, so for six and seven, oh, for seven especially, um, this might might just be apocryphal, but apparently they each had in their contracts that they were not allowed to lose a fight. And so if you watch the fight scenes, no one loses. It's always a draw, or as someone's about to deal the, the death blow, they get interrupted by bad guys, and it's amazing. Wow. wow all these things that behind the scenes of yes. movies that you, you know, it's like, oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it really affects the affects the thing or they have to have a product placement of their, yeah. their thing or whatever Corona. it is well it's like um, was it Arnold Schwarzenegger didn't want to fire a gun in, in, in Terminator 2 and so that's why there's no guns in Terminator 2 or no, no, he didn't want to, he didn't want to see, be seen killing anybody that's oh, what it was he didn't okay. want to kill anybody that's so that's interesting why, and that's why they wrote it in then that yeah. John Connor says to him you're not allowed to kill anybody <laughs> yeah, he's like you'll live I'm not <laughs> well, yeah. something um, well, one thing I noticed as well, obviously only seeing these two movies, is that we see in F9 the flashback sequences with oh, uh, that's Dom's, you. Dom's I'm so glad father you that up. Yeah. and brother. Dom's father and brother. We didn't know he had a brother. No, Did well, I you? asked William. No. Nobody knew he had a brother. Well, I said to William, said, this is the first time John Cena's been interested. like, first time. <laughs> uh, this is the first time we even knew he had a brother, yeah. let alone John Cena. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that as well, that retconning, because clearly it wasn't in the story. Such a major retcon. Yeah. Um, but, but it works. It works, and it ties beautifully into something that said up in the first movie well, that's the thing because I noticed in the first movie yeah. he's talking about watching his I, father I, I know and, I was and, like, I heard, cool. and he goes and I heard him screaming and then they told me later it was me who was screaming yeah. so I was waiting for the screaming and number oh, he, nine oh, he was doing it yeah it he was, was like that's my dad yeah. did you know that that's a New Zealand actor he's from Christchurch Vinnie yeah. Bennett what Whoa. he was at the premiere that I went to oh that's so cool and do you know what I wondered because his voice was so Vin Diesel yeah whether it was overdubbed I did and I asked him and he said it was his his own voice. Wow. Bravo, Vinny <laughs> Bennett. Oh, Vinny! Oh my oh gosh! Uh, I didn't make that connection. His brother called The Rock. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So yeah. anyway, yes, totally. What do we call it? Retrofitted. Yeah, yeah. Retconning, yeah. And the, the all the raceway stuff was awesome. I loved it. Cool. Yes. And, the, and the retro Universal logo. Yes. yes. And I noticed that watching the Fast and the Furious today, it was, it, the 90s logo was more newer than that mm. 89 one that they used. And the first thing was such a great way to open the movie as well. Like kind of, you see the fuzz and it pulls outwards and it's a reflection off the visor. Then you see the helmet has Toretto on it. And then you see it's 1989 yes. splash screen. Like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And, and if you've seen number one, you go, oh, this is I what's know happening. what we're about to see. Right. Yeah. See, I obviously had no idea. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do final words. Uh, Sarah, do you want to start us off? Uh, I was surprised at how good one was. Um, I think I came to this franchise, if not in five, then certainly in six. I think five. 
I think I watched five before I had to watch six and review it. And I gave six a scathing review. I think a, a very humorously written scathing review. I don't know, I felt like seven I quite liked, of course, and we went into it knowing it's going to be sad, and then eight was very goey, very goey and confusing. And I forgot to say, Charlize Theron, um, I, I mean, look, one thing about nine that I'm not keen on is that it's completely overstuffed. It's, there are far oh, yeah. too many people, <laughs> far too many characters and, and good actors in it, and Charlize Theron, I think, actually is and terrific as Cypher, yeah. and there's not enough of her, but given that there's too much Cardi B and Helen Mirren, what can you do? Um, anyway. And Otto. And Otto. <laughs> what, I, yeah, I'm not keen on that casting at all, but never mind, we'll let it go. Um, so, yeah... Um, I'm amazed that this franchise made itself into what it is uh, out of number one. But like I say, uh, number one, respect. And I'm looking forward to revisiting. What do you reckon, William? I should go back to five? To five, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go Four's back to not five. Very good. Nah, don't need it. And I don't need Tokyo Drift. So, um, oh, everyone needs a little bit of Tokyo Drift in their lives. <laughs> I, think ah. I've, I think I've seen clips and that's enough. <laughs> By the way, listeners, uh, in case you are thinking of um, rediscovering these, there is a pretty terrific 13 or 15 minute clip on YouTube, which is this guy who's speaking like this through the whole thing, introducing you to one, two, three, one to eight anyway, which I quickly binged before going into the cinema to see nine. So that would be highly recommended. But I'm looking forward to going back to uh, five, six, seven, eight. Awesome, Sarah. Well, I had a great time in F9. As you know, it was the first film for me to see in the series. Uh, I had no expectations. I had low expectations. And so my expectations were were exceeded. Mm. Um, it was absolutely ridiculous. I think the moment when they're in space, uh, <laughs> waving at the Chinese space station was kind of a wonderful moment. And you know, <laughs> it never pretended to be anything but what it was. Mm. Um, the first film, look, I, I'm not, I do not regret never having seen this movie. I don't wish I'd seen it when it came out. It's not my kind of film, but I was, it was nostalgic and it was of its time and it felt, um, it felt, yeah, I felt a little bit sad that we don't get movies like mm. that anymore, even if it's not a film that I particularly want to watch. But no, I had a lot of, a lot of fun. I would happily watch some of the ones you've said but I'm not going to go out there and diligently work my way through two, three, four, It would four, be quite funny if you went five. backwards, actually. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you should now go yeah. eight and then seven and see if you can pick up the threads. Put it all together. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. William. Yeah. Thanks, Jeremy. And I'm so glad you liked it um, because I this franchise is near and dear to my heart. I think eight was a real disappointment to a lot of people and a lot of the behind the scenes bits and bobs mm. I think contributed to that. So bringing Justin Lin back and really just having cool ideas and retrofitting the franchise to now include his long lost brother. It's mm. like, shouldn't really work, but it kind of does. I really, really love this movie. The space stuff is insane. Like everyone's always joking, where will they go next? In space? And they actually did it and it wasn't in a rocket. It was in a car with a rocket strapped to it because why not? Mm. <laughs> um, Did you guys watch the credit cookie? Yes. yes. Okay, yes. right. So we know that Justin Lin is set to do number 10, and yes. we now know, of course, what's do going on. Do we? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. yeah. And we 9, 10, 11. Wow. It's gonna, the entire franchise is going to end at part 11. And so wow. we know what's going to happen in 10, and I'm excited mm. for that already. Well, maybe I will go back and watch so I can understand all the in-jokes. <laughs> mm. And so, yeah, like, oh, speaking of in-jokes, there's so many, you know, labyrinthine plot connections to the other movies. And one thing I love about the series is that the plot, even though it's ridiculous, they care about it. 
Mm. The creators care about it, the writers care about it, and most importantly, the actors, bless their really just wooden hearts and faces, yeah. care so deeply about it. And that adds something, right? It's not anonymous anymore. Like, mm-hmm. their lives... I mean, they've been, some of them have been doing this for 20 years, and you see it in Michelle Rodriguez and Vin Diesel's interactions. Like, they, they inhabit these characters in a way that's beyond just, you know, acting that's for a paycheck. That's very true. And it, it really feels special in a way. I think the family stuff is, it's not just for show. I was going to say, it makes them feel like a real family. <laughs> but it does. It actually does. Yeah. Let's hope in real life, The Rock and Vin Diesel reconcile for real, and it will just yeah. mirror the entire arc of each of these movies. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of Cinema in Context. If you enjoyed our podcast, then please share it with your film-loving friends. You can listen to Cinema in Context through SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Music. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram, which are also great places to let us know what you think of this episode or give us suggestions for future films to discuss and compare. Look up for our next episode in a month's time, and until then, no more mine!